If you're a child, second grade and younger, and your parents so desire, you can be dismissed for kids' worship over here with Miss Kelly, and your folks will pick you up after the service. Everyone else, I'd ask you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, uh, the very first verse. We're going to end up reading the whole of the chapter, but we're just going to start uh, with Genesis 1.1. What is the goal? What is the end? What is the, the prize of your life? I said last week that for me, if, if what I really want is anything less than God and the display of his glory in me and in us, then I am just playing games. I'm playing silly games with eternally insignificant prizes because we were created, we were made to know God to enjoy God, to glorify God, to, de to desire God as the goal and the end and the prize, to experience God's glory and to share it, to radiate it to the world around us. And the series on the names of God that are revealed in Scripture is meant to help those of us who know God to remember afresh who He is. And those who don't know God yet, to understand who it is that we worship and who it is that, that we as a church seek to build our lives individually and corporately around. Do you want to know God more? Do we want to know God more? Do we want to continue to go deeper and deeper in the knowledge of God, of his nature and of his character and of his works? Do we want to, to build our faith, to grow in our estimation of who God is and what God can do, to grow in our expectations of what God will do in us and for us and through us as individuals and as a church. And if we do, if we want to know God more and we want to, to build our faith in him, English preacher Charles Spurgeon says that the names of God are a good place to go. He says, ignorance is worse when it amounts to ignorance of God. And knowledge is best when it exercises itself upon the name of God. This most excellent knowledge leads to the most excellent grace of faith. Oh, to learn more of the attributes and character of God. Unbelief, that hooting night bird, cannot live in the light of divine knowledge. It flies before the sun of the glory of God's great and gracious name. By knowing God's name is meant an experiential acquaintance with the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, which are every one of them anchors to hold the soul from drifting in times of peril. The names of God inspire trust. Well, I don't think any of us would deny that, that this season that we have been in far longer than I thought uh, we would be, 
has been a season of peril for us. It's been a season of peril for us as individuals as none of us have escaped the effects of the pandemic in some way. And it has certainly been a time of peril for us as a church as we have been uh, separated and not able to gather as we did before. And not able to give to our mission of connecting people with the hope of the gospel everything that we are all of the time in the way that we desire to. If you were like me, the danger of your soul drifting or withering this time has been real. I would just ask, we, we, we do not know how much longer we're going to deal with this season. But you know what? Even when this particular season of peril is over, there will be another one. Whether for all of us or for us as individuals, we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will have difficult seasons in our lives. We will suffer. Where is our anchor? Commentator Matthew Henry wrote, the better God is known, the more he is trusted. And the more he is trusted, the more he is sought after. Knowing our God, knowing his character, knowing his attributes, this is our anchor. So we look to his name. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, the names of God are windows through which his character is seen. Isn't that good? The names of God are windows through which his character is seen. And as we saw last week, God's names in Scripture represent his being, and they reveal his character, and they rescue his people. So look with me at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and at the first of God's names revealed. And that name is Elohim. It's going to be a real brief stand-up, but if you are able, I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. And I'm going to ask you to, to raise your voice and to, to read this uh, scripture with me. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for His Word. Oh, Father. You are so good. You are the creator of everything that exists. And Lord, you have revealed yourself to us in all creation. The scriptures tell us that your power and your divine qualities have been made known since the creation of the world because they are evident in the things that have been created. Therefore, we are without excuse. Lord, creation declares the glory of God to the extent that every human on earth is left without excuse when we do not worship you. And so, Lord, none of us have an excuse and all of us stand condemned. But Lord, you have chosen in your grace and in your mercy and in your love to reveal yourself more to us, not merely in creation, but also in your written word where you tell us the story of your redemption. And Lord, your word tells us that your full and final word is your son the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says that at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
And so, Lord, when we approach your written word, which testifies to your nature and to your character and to your glory, we want to see Jesus. He is the one through whom and for whom all things were created and all things exist. And he is our Savior and our Lord and our King. And our desire is that he would be glorified and worshiped in our hearts now, Lord, that we would find comfort and peace in him as we learn about the name that you have revealed, Elohim, strong, mighty creator. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, obviously, we are in the Halloween season. You know that if you go into uh, any store. And uh, the weekend of Halloween is going to be a really fun weekend for us as a faith family. Friday night, uh, October uh, 29th. Uh, here in the sanctuary at 6 p.m. Jeremy Casella will be with us in concert. It will be a combination concert and hymn sing. So it will be participatory worship as well as listening to some great music. And so I encourage you to, to come out to that, just to be with your brothers and sisters, to worship together, to hear some good music. Jeremy is, is just so impressive as a musician and he loves the Lord so much. And we just want to support uh, what it is he is doing and receive blessing from it. And so I'd encourage you not only to come, but to invite others to come with you as well. Saturday afternoon at four o'clock, we're going to have our uh, annual trunk or treat, and we're going to invite our community to come onto our campus. We're going to have trunks set up uh, elaborately, and, and, and we're going to give out candy, and we're going to give people an impression, a taste of a Back Creek Church. And then, of course, on Sunday morning, we'll be right back here, 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on the Lord's Day. And, and on this particular Lord's Day, it's going to be October 31st, which is uh, the day that we actually celebrate uh, Martin Luther in 1517, nailing his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Castle church door and launching what we know as the Protestant Reformation. That's going to be an awesome weekend, and I would just encourage you to take part in all three of those events if you are able. But when I was a kid, I was not big on the scary stuff surrounding Halloween, especially people wearing scary costumes or masks. And we would have a, an alternative event at our church every Halloween, like so many churches do, like we do uh, with our trunk or tree. We called it the fall festival. And people would come uh, to that wearing costumes. And most of the costumes were, you know, happy and light and fun and tame. But I remember distinctly uh, when I was about seven or eight, I'm at this fall festival having a good time, bobbing for apples. I can't believe we did that. That's never coming back. Um, and I look up, and someone tall enters into our fellowship hall, and he's wearing a Grim Reaper costume. And without hesitation, I moved as fast as I have ever moved in my life, and I made a beeline for my dad. Why? Because my dad was strong. And in the strength of my father's arms was safety and comfort, no matter what. Even in the face of the grim reaper. And this name for God, the first name given by God for God in all of Scripture, Elohim, 
is derived from the word El, which is a, a generic word for God, kind of like our word, God. And it means mighty, strong. Elohim is used over 2,500 times throughout Scripture. It's used 32 times in Genesis chapter 1 alone. We are reminded that Herman Bovink told us God is what he calls himself and calls himself what he is. And knowing him in his strength as Elohim is an anchor to hold our souls from drifting in times of peril. So who is this mighty one? Who is Elohim? Well, Genesis 1.1 and the entirety of the chapter tells us so many things, so many more than three things, but we're going to focus on three things this morning, three attributes of Elohim. And the first is Elohim is transcendent. Don't worry about spelling that right if you're taking notes. Elohim is transcendent. In the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, what? God. Transcendent means above, beyond, surpassing, exceeding. And with regard to literally everything in the universe, God is above, beyond, surpassing, exceeding. Elohim is transcendent. J.T. Beck writes, the name Elohim describes the divine being in his original and constant causal relation to the universe. It is a designation of relationship, not of immediate inner being. In fact, it expresses the idea of absolute transcendence with respect to the entire universe. Absolute transcendence is Elohim. Transcendence means that God, our God, is infinitely above and infinitely outside of his creation. In the beginning, God. Before anything was, God was. Elohim is above and before and beyond and outside time and space and matter. I love how 20th century preacher S.M. Lockridge describes Elohim's transcendence as revealed in this chapter of Genesis, the first chapter of the Bible. He says this, God stepped out from behind the curtain of nowhere onto the platform of nothing and spoke a world into existence. Now, the reason God came from nowhere is because there wasn't anywhere for him to come from. And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing. And the reason he had to stand on nothing was because there was nowhere for him to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out to where there was nothing to catch, hung something on nothing, and said, stay right there. 
Then standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will, struck the anvil of his omnipotence, and sparks flew everywhere. He caught these sparks on the tips of his fingers, flung them out into space, and bedecked the heavens with stars. And nobody said a word. And nobody said a word because there wasn't anybody around to say anything. So God himself said, that's good. This is Elohim, before, beyond, above, time, and space, and matter, utterly transcendent. Have you ever seen something that was so big, it boggles your mind? I had opportunity. I think this happens to us all the time, except we don't let it boggle our mind. We take for granted amazing things that God has created. And in my time away, I had the opportunity to stand on the beach and to contemplate the ocean. And I looked out on the ocean and I looked to my left and I looked to my right And I looked straight forward, and as far as I could see, all the way out to the horizon was water. And what I could see was only a tiny fraction of the ocean, and it began to overwhelm me with regard to its immensity. But at the horizon, you know what was touching the ocean? The sky. And I thought about how how high and wide and far is the sky. And I began to be overwhelmed by the immensity of the ocean and the sky. But then I began to realize that in comparison to Elohim, the strong and mighty transcendent creator, the ocean and the sky are but nothing. What am I? Have you ever stood before something so big that it boggled your mind. Pastor Tony Evans notes that scientists estimate there are between one and 200 billion galaxies in our universe. And our nearest galaxy we call Andromeda. And it's 2.5 million light years from us. If we had friends living in Andromeda and we wanted to send them a message and and our message could travel at the speed of a, a radio wave, we could send our message and we could expect their reply in roughly 5 million years. That is astounding. Yet our God transcends the entire expanse of those one to two hundred billion galaxies. He transcends the entire expanse of the universe, not only in its space, but also in its history and its future. He is omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. And this should astound us and it should cause us to marvel and to worship him because of his transcendence. Our God should boggle our minds when we think of him. But it should also give us great comfort and courage. And it should serve as an anchor for our souls that what may seem scarce to us is never scarce to Elohim. 
We may feel that we don't have enough time, but Elohim transcends time and he never, ever has the possibility of running out. We may think that we are going to run short on resources, but Elohim is not bound by matter and material things and he never runs out of resources. We may be limited by our circumstances, but Elohim transcends them and he is not limited in any way. He is the mighty one who is above and beyond and outside whatever it is that is troubling us. You may not feel that whatever is going on in the world or in your life right now, you understand very well, but you can rest in the fact that the God who transcends all understanding and is utterly incomprehensible to you in his nature understands everything in your life infinitely better than you do and is at work in and through literally everything for your good and for his glory. Elohim is transcendent. The second thing that we see here is that Elohim is creator. Elohim is transcendent and Elohim is the creator. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word that is used there for created is barah. And it is only ever used of God in the scriptures because it means to do something that no other being could ever do. It means to bring something into existence out of nothing. Ex nihilo creation. There were no raw materials. There was nothing but nothing but Elohim the mighty, transcendent one who made everything that we see and everything that we don't see in the mind-boggling expanse of all creation. And he made it out of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. I want to encourage you to take a moment right now but then also a longer period of time later today to really think about and contemplate and consider the beauty and the splendor and the order and the power and the magnificence and the diversity of the universe, of the world as we experience it. And I want you to, to contemplate that there is not one thing that exists apart from Elohim's might and creativity and wisdom all expressed in the work of creation. What is your favorite part of God's creation? Think about that. What is your favorite part of God's creation? It, it might be a, a place. It might be a, a thing. It might be a person. What is your favorite part of God's creation? Think about that and all of the things that you love about it and all the reasons that it is your favorite and let your thoughts lead you to meditate on the God who first imagined that thing and then spoke it into being for his and your enjoyment. And let that meditation break out into worship. 
The way this happens for me is I'm standing on the beach looking at the expanse of the ocean and the sky, and in my mind, unavoidably and inevitably comes, oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Worship Elohim. And in this name, find an anchor for your soul. Dr. Tony Evans, again, because he's so good on this, Elohim doesn't need raw materials with which to work. He doesn't need logic or tangible solutions in order to accomplish his goal. All he needs is himself. And all you need is faith in his name that he can do all that he purposes to do. Rather than visualize how God is going to, to straighten out your situation, tweak your trials, or fix your failures, remember his name. I, don't look at the things and situations in your life and try to do the equation, try to do the math on how is God going to work this out for my good and his glory. Instead, Remember his name. Remember that he is Elohim, the transcendent creator of the universe who is above and beyond and outside and can do whatever he pleases and will do whatever he purposes for his glory and always for your good. Remember his name and remember that Elohim can create something out of nothing. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Elohim is transcendent. Elohim is creator. And lastly, Elohim is personal. Elohim is personal. Yes, the Lord is absolutely transcendent and utterly incomprehensible. But he is not an impersonal force. God is a person. In fact, God is three persons. It's, wor it's worth noting here that the name Elohim is a plural name whose pronouns and verbs are usually found in the singular. Elohim is triune. Elohim is one God. Can y'all say one God? In three persons. Say three persons. One God in three persons. Elohim is a God whose essence includes personal relation. And Elohim personally relates to and interacts with his creation. Because God is personal and he is in his essence personally relating, the three persons relating to each other, and because he is a God who creates out of nothing, he has personal relationship with his creation. We see that in some of the rest of this chapter. If you look at verse 3 through 25, 
And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. I was going to read all through this chapter. We're running out of time. And I, I just want to emphasize that we see this pattern over and over and over again. That God is personal. God said. God saw. God named. God is personal. And nowhere is this more beautiful. And nowhere is it clearer than in his creation of us. Human beings, if you look down in chapter 1 at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Elohim personally made you. Elohim, the mighty transcendent creator, personally and lovingly made you. And he didn't make you like the stars. And he didn't make you like the ocean. And he didn't make you like the sky. And he didn't make you like the animals. He made you like him. He made you and me in his own image so that we could be in personal, loving relationship with almighty, transcendent, mighty Elohim. And when he makes us, he says that we are good. In fact, that we are very good. Elohim, the transcendent, Almighty creator, God of everything in the universe loves you personally. And of course, we know that God says everything is good, very good. And then the very people that he made in his own image for relationship, for personal loving relationship with himself broke that relationship by rebelling against him and rejecting him and going our own way. And every subsequent generation of human beings has done the same thing, and we have a word for that. It's called sin. And sin cuts us off from personal loving relationship with Elohim, with our creator. 
and it distorts his image in us. And yet, what we know is that Elohim's love for us, compelled Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to covenant together to redeem a people for himself. To not allow sin and death and Satan to have victory over us. And so the Son in the fullness of time came into the world to do what the first Adam and all human sins have failed to do. He came to please the Father in the Spirit. And he did so. He satisfied the righteous requirement of God's law in our place as our substitute so that we could receive as a gift his righteous record and life. And he went to the cross and on the cross he died an incredibly painful physical death, which is the wages of sin, but he also endured the full weight of God's justice against our rejection and rebellion against our sin. He satisfied God's law for us. He was perfect. And then he took the penalty that we deserved. He received our justice so that from God we receive nothing but mercy and grace and love and are welcomed back into loving personal relationship with our creator such that finite human beings can have beautiful, intimate, personal relationship with almighty, transcendent Elohim. Do you know him? The Lord Jesus Christ on the third day rose again from the dead and inaugurated a new creation of which all who are in Christ are a part. And one day we will see Elohim face to face. And and as I'm standing on the beach, looking at the expanse of the sea and of the sky and marveling at this transcendent creator, God. And I'm worshiping him in the singing of this hymn. I can't but sing that, uh, that verse that says, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Elohim is transcendent. Elohim is creator. Elohim is personal. And he invites you by his grace to know him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, thank you uh, for this time together in your word. I thank you for the power of your word and for the power of these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Lord, we praise you for your work of creation and we praise you for your work of recreation. We thank you, Lord, that we can marvel at your transcendence, though we cannot even begin to understand it. Lord, we praise you that evidence of your 
identity as creator is always before our eyes. And Lord, I pray that you would help us now and always to be unable to take in what you have created without ascribing to you the glory that is due your name. And oh Lord, we worship you because you are personal and you have made it personal. Lord, you came for us so that we could be restored to personal relationship with you. And Lord, I pray this morning for those of us who have known you for a long time and and Lord, we've lost the awe and we've lost the reverence. And Lord, perhaps we've, we've lost the desire to, to be in your presence and to be with you. Lord, would you use your word this morning to restore that in us? And Lord, I pray for any in this room this morning who do not yet know you, who have not, Lord, walked through the door of your invitation that whosoever will come will be received. Lord, I pray today that in Christ they would find reconciliation with you, that they would find cleansing from their sin, that they would find redemption and hope and eternal life as they join your new creation. Lord, I pray that you would today raise from death to life, that you would save. We love you, our, O oh Lord, our God, our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. We confess your greatness and we glory in who you are and in what you have done. And we do and pray all these things in the name of Christ, amen. Let's stand and once more respond to God's word and song.